0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One.
1: There's something about the idea of building a program, which was really exciting to me. And Swarthmore has a rich history of swimming, a very long, long history in swimming. But to me, I looked at it and I said, if you look at the NCAA top rankings every single year, it's Hopkins, it's Amherst, it's Williams, it's U Chicago, it's Emory, it's all these academic elite schools. Like, why can't Swarthmore be in that conversation?
0: And our guest this week is Karen Colby. She is the head men's and women's swim coach at Swarthmore College. Thanks so much for coming in studio.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So as we were talking on the elevator coming up, this is a very busy time for you as we are recording here in mid-January. You guys are chest deep in your season.
1: Yeah, so our season—we're um, we're in the home stretch now. We actually just got back from our winter training camp, where we headed down to Puerto Rico for a week to uh, get some good work in. But we're about a month out from championship meets and two months out from the the final final end of our season. So it's it's a busy time for us for sure.
0: Is this the best time of year?
1: It is. It's the most nerve wracking time of the year. There's not a lot more that we can do other than to not break people so it's it's more about just kind of riding the the good work we've put in for the last six months into
0: championships at this point where's recruiting at this time of year
1: yeah so recruiting is is never ending um honestly we're 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 almost done of the with the class the the current seniors the class of 2023 but that just means we're we're working hard on the class of 2024 and and moving forward with that and um, recruiting for both a men's and a women's program means that the the game really never ends. And so um, we've got 2025s in our database that we're, we're starting to work with.
0: So we're almost almost finished with the 23s, but uh, we still got a ways to go. How have being the head coach of the men's and women's, are they considered, do you consider them kind of two branches of one program? Are they two separate programs? Like how are they broken down?
1: Yeah. So we, in the sport of swimming, most programs are co-ed. So this is kind of the only thing I've ever known. We certainly operate from a logistical standpoint as one program. From a coaching individual standpoint, we coach the people the way they need to be coached individually. That's kind of the unique part about being an individual, but also a team sport. But from... A, you know, we, we certainly find times to have women's team practices and women's team events and men's team practices and men's team events because there, there, there are times when your programs are at different levels um, or need different things. And, and so that kind of building that individual culture is, is important. But every practice we do is co-ed, every meet we have is co-ed. And so for all intents and purposes, we, we are one big, happy family.
0: I was curious about that from a standpoint you talk about different kids needing different things. You've had a ton of success on both ends. So it's not like, you know, it's this wild roller coaster ride. But is it, how much of your emotional skill set does it take as a coach if one group's having success and the other group is struggling? Where, you are kind of one, but one half's a little further ahead and feeling better about themselves. The other ones is that a, is that difficult to navigate?
1: Absolutely, I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges. Fortunately, right now our programs are are pretty comparable. They share similar goals, similar levels of of competition. So um, I think we're in a really great place with that. But we've had years where where there's been a big disparity between you know the level of competitiveness or the goals that the team sets for themselves and. And navigating that can be really tricky because you certainly want to support the competitive side of both things or of both teams, but you need to make sure that the the goals are not just your own and that they're the goals of the team and that they're realistic. So, um, again, fortunately, we're in a good spot with both programs right now. Um, but it, it is a challenge to kind of wear those different hats. But again, we always kind of break everything down into coaching the individuals and coaching on that specific day and trying not to look at the the, the big picture too often and and to focus on the the for lack of a better word, the journey of of the experience to make sure that everybody's getting what they need to, to perform at the highest level.
0: So when did you start swimming? And I don't mean just jumping in the pool as a four-year-old. I mean, like, when did you start really enjoying swimming? And and going in swimming with a purpose.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's kind of one thing led to the next. Um, I grew up in a household uh, with two older brothers who were both swimmers, so I kind of just fell in line. That that was my option. I gave up gymnastics at a pretty early age because at nearly six feet tall, that wasn't my future. But I I always loved summer league swimming, and that's a really big thing in in the sport of swimming is is these smaller town community summer league programs, and that's where a lot of people get their start. And so I was certainly really involved with that until. Um, middle school, when I decided I wanted to focus on swimming, um, I kind of dropped soccer and, and gymnastics and all these other sports that I had been doing. But I was also trying to make it so that my freshman year of high school, I could actually make my high school swim team because they had cuts and I was not very good at the time. And so I, I started taking it more seriously um, through seventh and eighth grade. And then fortunately, I just kind of continued to progress through through high school and then on through college. And yeah, I I, I think a lot of my love for the sport and continued kind of growth and success in the sport was because i had a little bit later start than a lot of my peers and it was always driven on what i wanted to do and and the fact that i was terrible as a child and got better and better was certainly helpful as well
0: you grew up in wisconsin Mm -hmm. correct is swimming is it big there
1: in the town of madison yes um i think swimming is a pretty big sport there when you can do it when it's warm but in in the city of madison there's there's a great summer league uh setup and And some really strong high school and club programs. And so it certainly was one of the great options if I wasn't
0: going to be a hockey player. What did you swim? Did you have certain events, or were you kind of at different points doing a little bit of everything?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely went kind of all over the place. Again, um, not being the most talented kid in the pool when I was younger certainly meant that I, I plugged a lot of different holes. But as I kind of developed as a swimmer, um, I became a mostly a middle-distance freestyler, 200-500 freestyler. Could sprint a little bit, could do some longer-distance stuff, but kind of found my wheelhouse in, in the 200-500
0: range. So you talk about you weren't the best when you were younger. When do you start to turn the corner? Like when? Does it, you obviously love it, but there had to be a point where you started to realize like, well, wait a minute, she used to beat me all the time and I just beat her by half the lap. Like, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but yeah. was there a tangible moment?
1: Um, Not necessarily a tangible moment. I think it was, it was my progression through high school. Um, Again, a lot of that was, was growth and filling out my frame and starting to lift for the first time and, and training seriously. I mean, there, there's a reason that, you know, the best swimmers in the world swim 52 weeks of the year and train doubles every day in the pool. And so once I started to do that, um, again, I had kind of, I was the long, the the tall, gangly 12-year-old, you know, who was nearly six foot tall. And so by the time I was 16 and I was starting to put some muscle on that and connect my limbs in a way that allowed me to move down the pool a little bit better. I don't want to say it was a linear path because there were certainly ups and downs, but um, a lot of it had to do with just kind of having that patience and, and confidence that this was going to add up as I kind of got a little bit more coordinated and figured it all out. And Um, I think that that's having patience through that is one of the hardest things about swimming is you can go in every single day and and not necessarily see the results immediately. But if you are doing the right things, it will it will add up eventually.
0: When did the idea of being able to swim at the college level become more than a dream? When does it start to become something that, oh, I'm getting letters or somebody's pulling me aside to talk to me after practice. Like, do you remember when it started to come together?
1: Yeah, so swimming is a little bit later in the recruiting cycle than a lot of other sports. Um, I think that's a good thing. I don't envy my colleagues, you know, who are trying to figure out what freshmen in high school want to be doing with their college decisions. But for us, we, you know, it, it is a little bit later in the game. You're usually not a junior or not getting recruited pretty heavily until you're a junior or senior um, so that was when it really started. And that was kind of when I started to actually be a competitive and, and noticeable uh, swimmer, for lack of a better word. And so for me, I knew before I knew I wanted to swim in college, I knew that I wanted to go to a certain type of college. And so the fact that that aligned and allowed me to have a Division three swimming experience was what I knew I'd always wanted. I never... I don't want to say I never had dreams of being an Olympian or swimming Division one, but the thing about swimming is that you can be a, a big fish in a small pond and, and, and have a lot of success. And so I think that it's not necessarily D1 or Bust. It's about finding a program where you can walk on campus and know where you're going to fit in terms of the spectrum of speed on the team. And so to me, that was, that was the most important part about it was I wasn't waiting for an elusive swimming scholarship. There's not a lot of them out there. And, and um, I wanted to find a school that was the right fit for me first.
0: As an aside, you mentioned lifting weights, that swimming, do you run like to, in, in training or is everything strictly from a cardio standpoint done in the pool?
1: Yeah, most of, I mean, we, we take care of enough cardio in the pool that we don't need to really supplement that in any way. I think there are some coaches that believe in, in doing more outside of the pool from a cardio standpoint, but we use our dryland and lifting time to, to develop strength and to develop power because that's, that's what swimming really is. It's how fast can you dive off the block explode through the first couple of strokes, bounce off one wall, bounce off the other wall, bounce off the walls and and finish as fast as you can. And so the more explosive and powerful we can get you, the the better.
0: I love that there's a dry land kind of strategy. Yes. Like and it's referred to it as that. Carlton you go to for college, correct? Yes. And you talked about how the type of college aligned. Were there other schools or kind of once the opportunity the swimming opportunity in Carlton, that was pretty much the leader in the clubhouse for yeah. the most
1: part. Yeah. For me, my my college decision Process was um, I wanted to be within an eight hour radius of my house in Wisconsin because I wanted my parents to be able to occasionally come and watch me swim, and so that was you know limiting and certainly in some ways. And uh, I wanted to go to the best school I could find academically, and Carleton College in, in Northfield, Minnesota, allowed me to be a Division three swimmer to, but also to be a major in whatever I wanted to major and and have that. That balance of I'm not just there to be a swimmer, I'm there to be a scholar first and foremost, and you know admittedly m- most of my family went to Carleton College, so it wasn't always at the top of my <laughs> the top of my wish list because I kind of wanted to do my own thing um, but when when it all came down to it, it was the best academic opportunity I had. it was a place where I could be who I was and 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 grow through that college experience and and the swimming part of it was a huge huge part of my identity during that time
0: and I'm curious as a lot of college athletes, you majored in something that you could just float through without having to focus much. In geology, what was? Have you always had a passion for geology? Because that is not something you mess around with. You got to be yeah. all in on something like that. Like what? What led you in that direction?
1: Yeah. So um, I, I simultaneously think it was it was kind of pre-written for me to be a geology major at Carleton, um, my father was. Um, He's a geology professor at the University of Wisconsin. And so, you know, I'd grown up my whole life on every road trip, looking at outcrops on the side of the highway and every. Family vacation we had had some camping component um, out in in the woods to look at rocks. And so I'd always been drawn to that. I'd always been drawn to the the science world. I, you know, I think like many, many people growing up, I, you know, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was seven. You know, I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world and got to college, you know, dabbled in biology, dabbled in chemistry, dabbled in physics, didn't really find my space. And I found that geology was actually a really cool fusion of all of them because there was certainly— uh, the chemistry side of things, of of how rocks are actually composed, the the physics side of things that was, you know, how how things have moved and shaped over millions of years, and 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 so to me it was kind of this really cool combination of problem solving, but also there's a story to tell um, with with everything that you're looking at, and so. It was not easy. It it was really challenging. But I always joke that I'm I was the black sheep in the group because I believe there were 22 geology majors in my class, and I think 21 of them went on to get PhDs in geology or to go work for oil companies or or whatever. And I'm I'm the I'm the lone swim coach out there.
0: Do you ever think about what could have been, or do you ever? Not that you're not comfortable, but you said that everybody, and it's obviously just in you describing it, there's a yeah. there's a passion there. Do you ever find yourself on road trips saying, hey, let's go check this out? No, no, not, <laughs>
1: not, not, not yet. I'm sure I'll be that person at some point. But no, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I ever thought that geology was necessarily my future, mm-hmm. but I found it really fascinating to study um, and really interesting, I think. Most of my my approach through college was actually I I kind of thought I was going to end up in in the education world. And um, so I I had a concentration in the education department and thought I would probably end up being, you know, a high school earth science teacher and, and coaching a high school swim team. And that was where I spent most of my time thinking I was probably heading and then kind of stumbled backwards into into college coaching and realized that that was where I wanted to be.
0: You had a ton of success as a swimmer at Carleton. Uh, multiple all-conference selections, Uh, you were a captain, a national qualifier. When you think back to those years, what are your favorite memories? What are the first things that come rushing back?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I... I find myself tapping into those memories a lot more than I think most people do, simply because I kind of draw on them um, when I'm trying to relate to my students. And honestly, all of the memories that I, I really, really reflect on frequently have to do with, with the people that I spent it with and the kind of journey that we all went through. I mean, certainly a couple of races stand out in my brain, either for for good or terrible reasons, Um, but, you know, so much of it was about the fact that my best friends um, in the world are are all people I swam college swimming with, and that it's such a unique kind of little community that even friends from other teams, um, you know, that I've stayed in touch with for years after that, and so it it was certainly, it it was special, um, but it it was really special because of the people.
0: When you're racing, how much is it you are racing against the other swimmers, and how much of it is... You're kind of racing against yourself. I want the best form. I want the best turn. I want the best start. Is the competition, I don't want to say secondary, but there's got to be so much focus on your lane. And you can't like w- really watch the other yeah. other people. So I, I always find it this, this odd dichotomy where, yes, you're competing against other people, but you have very little knowledge, I would think, of what somebody four lanes over is doing and stuff like
1: that. Yeah. I mean, I think that – that depends on where you are in the season and and honestly how you're feeling on a on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I think and it depends on how comp- competitive you are as a person. Um I hated losing, so I was always very aware of what everybody else was doing and I actually paid a lot of attention to how they swam their races so that I knew what to expect. But I I loved competing. I loved I loved winning. I I I hated losing, and so that was certainly a bigger thing for me, but you know, when you're you know in the middle of november swimming a meet and and you're not at all set up to swim fast you're you're broken down you're exhausted you're tired um at that point it's much more about like am i doing you know my ideal stroke count kick count off walls am i you know i i've got a 500 here i've got you know 19 turns to figure out how to how to do this well like let's let's work on my breakout off of every turn and so Kind of having a game plan going into certain races, whether it was because you knew you didn't have anybody to race or because of just where you were in your training cycle, um, is, is kind of why we swim those, those meets when we're not necessarily primed to go fast. And so it's a combination. I think helping people develop that competitive side can be more challenging than you'd think um, in terms of, you know, taking somebody who does like to swim for themselves and the satisfaction of doing the best that they can. And saying, yeah, but you got to beat that person next to you is, is always an interesting challenge if they don't have that natural drive in them. What did you swim in college? Uh, mostly the 200, 500 freestyle, 100 freestyle. A little bit of 200 IM here and there, but I had a series of, of back injuries through my college experience. And so I, was, I wasn't as versatile as I probably would have liked to have been, but um, stuck to mostly
0: freestyle. In swimming, and I'm jumping when you're looking for swimmers, are there certain events that are harder to? Find high level swimmers than others, because I bring this up to a lot of coaches with different sports, you know, like in football, finding like your tackles Mm -hmm. that can compete at a high level and obviously quarterback, but goaltender, you know, is there a, a certain distance or a certain a certain stroke that is harder to recruit for or to locate or is it pretty well spread around and it's just a matter of finding the right places for recruiting.
1: Right, right. It's more about finding the right people. They're pretty well covered. Um, We actually look for people that are not necessarily standouts in one or two events. The college format, you know, the the championship format requires you to be excellent at three individual events and then to be versatile enough to be useful on relays. And so we might find extremely good swimmers in one or two events, but if they don't have anything beyond that, we kind of have to weigh how how valuable it is to have somebody who's amazing at one event and not so great at anything else, um, and so we actually look for those kids who come in with a lot of versatility, who are who are good at a lot of things, um, but have trained really, really um, kind of a balanced club experience where they're um, training all four strokes frequently. They're they're training sprint and distance, and and then we can take them and we can fine tune them. We can say, okay, well, we're going to spend this year focusing on um, you being an IMer and and a breaststroker, or you're going to be a sprint sprinter for us, and. Um, having those conversations with them, and it also makes for a fun experience for them because they don't kind of spend every single practice doing the exact same thing every day, right? We may have them in a sprint practice one day, a mid-distance practice another day, an I am practice one day, a two hundred fly practice one day, and um, it just kind of mixes up their training and mixes up what we can do with them at at meets along the way.
0: So when does coaching enter your thought process? You mentioned the possibility of being in an educator. Both your parents, I think you your yep. mom was librarian, yep. your dad was the The professor, you know, so coaching and it's interlocked with being an educator. It's just the focus on an athletic event. Was it always something that was in the back of your mind?
1: Yes and no. Um, I kind of say that I stumbled back into it because I did. I'd coached some club. I'd coached some summer league stuff um, throughout high school and college but I, I graduated with zero plans as as many you know liberal arts education students uh, <laughs> do and kind of wasn't really sure what I was going to do in the fall. Um, you know, coached and, and did what I did in the summer um, at my summer pool and then honestly saw a posting for, for an assistant coach at Amherst College and they had just come off an insanely successful year where they had had incredible success at the national level. And, and it was a program I had admired for a long time and I kind of reached out to the coach and said, like, hey, I just graduated. Not sure I have a lot of the qualifications you might be looking for. But, you know, I'd I'd love to love to chat with you more about this. Um, He called me about 15 minutes later and said, I hope you know that I can't pay you anything. Um, You know, he's like, I can give you a couple thousand dollars and (laughs) and hope for the best. But if you want to, you know, want to make a crazy move, like, let's let's talk a little bit more. And that turned into probably one of the best kind of impulsive decisions on my behalf and on his behalf probably ever. And so. Um, he continues to be one of my, my, my dear friends and mentors in the sport. But the longer I stayed there, um, the more I realized that that was what I wanted to be doing and that it was all the best parts about education, but just through the vehicle of, of swimming and and didn't have any papers to grade at the end of the night. So that was a win as well.
0: How difficult, because I think anybody that's been into coaching at any sport, that first job, you mentioned a couple of that, like you're maybe a volunteer or, you know, you get a, like you did a, a small stipend or whatever. How did juggle it i mean that's the time to do it when you're 22 23 and you're not don't have you know family to worry about but it still ain't easy
1: yeah it was i mean it was certainly hard um i i think what was special about where i did it was there was a uh, there were assistants like me in every sport and mm-hmm. so there was a really good community of poor 22 to 25 year olds uh who we all lived together we also had a relationship with uh umass amherst where many of us were in grad school there so we had a Reciprocal kind of relationship there, where our GA position was at the college, and so I was able to get my master's there, um, which was fantastic. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of rice and beans and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, but I think having that community of other assistant coaches who were experiencing a lot of the same things that I was in different sports was really helpful. And a lot of those coaches are still coaching today, which is fun to kind of watch their their profession or their careers kind of take off as head coaches all over the country.
0: In that first job as an assistant, what are you doing? Like, are you doing a lot of the nuts and bolts, getting, making sure the recruiting calendar is organized? Are you helping in the pool a lot? Or, you know, what? what's your main role?
1: I was kind of the first real, quote unquote, assistant coach that, um, that the head coach there had had, somebody who was there for more than just, you know, a couple hours of practice a week. And so he needed a lot of help with the organizational side of things, particularly with recruiting. I mean, that has just changed so much over the last 20 years that, like, I mean, we went from stacks and stacks of handwritten pages to, you know, spreadsheets with color-coded cells all over the place. And so I kind of brought that up to speed, I think, for him, which helped him be a little bit more effective and efficient on that front. Definitely day in and day out. I mean, we're on the pool deck for four or six, eight hours a day working with kids. And so, you know, when you're 22, you got to find the ones that will take you seriously and want to learn from you. Um, but the more... Time I spent there, the more I I learned about how to be a great coach and what that looked like, and so so the recruiting side of things, the logistical side of things, of running a program is just there's there's so many facets of it that you would never think about. But I've always been a really organized person, and so that was kind of right in my wheelhouse and not necessarily in his. And so we made a really good pair for for five years there, and I just kind of grew and took on more and more responsibilities. and And I think you you know you you have to identify when you're. 22, 23, that you're going to have a different relationship with with a student on the team than you do when you're, you know, 30 or 40 or 50. And so um, trying to figure out where I could be, uh, where I had to draw that line of friend versus, you know, coach and, and how to navigate that was a challenge, but it's what we all kind of go through when we're young.
0: Did it help that it was not your school? Because I talked yes. to other coaches that have done that similar thing in that GA year. Is that the place they, so guys, so people that you were going to the bar with. Right. Six months ago, now all of a sudden the relationship is completely, the dynamic is completely different. And it can be tough. You have to have the right kind of people who understand kind of what's going on to to be able to handle that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm glad that I kind of got a, a totally fresh start when I went there because I couldn't imagine doing that at the school that I went to. And so, I, again, I think having a community of assistant coaches that, that I could default to certainly – helped prevent that from being, you know, an issue of like, what do I do on, on the weekends? I'm 23. I want to go have some fun. Well, I had a group of people to do that with that was appropriate. And so it, it was challenging. I, I cannot imagine doing that at the school I went to. Um, I don't know how anybody does that, but it's, it's, you got to put a different hat on and, and figure out how
0: to, how to navigate it. We need to take a break. We will have more with Swarthmore college head men's and women's swimming coach, Karen Colby, right after this, this is one-on-one. On One. And we are back on one-on-one, our guest this week, Swarthmore College, head men's and women's swimming coach, Karen Colby. When you start, was there a moment where it really became clear for you that this was your calling? Like, if it was a one-on-one with a kid, you're shaking your head no, but like, a, <laughs> you know, w- there wasn't no trepidation at all that, uh, maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, I
1: mean, I certainly, I, I looked in a lot of different directions, especially over those first five years. You know, I, I went to UMass Amherst and, and got an MBA and a master's in sports management there. And, you know, their sports management program is one of the best master's in sports management programs in the country and has incredible connections. And not a lot of people leave that and, and go on to be Coaches. Um, a lot of them go into administration or into professional sports or really anything other than coaching. And so there were certainly moments of what am I doing? Is this is this good enough? You know, I'm, I, or should I should I be flipping the page and trying to become an administrator? And um, I've I've dabbled in in spaces like that. I've had opportunities to work with administrators closely and kind of be helpful to them and and learn more about their jobs. And the more I, I stick my toe in that pool, I I don't want that. I, I think that what I love is is working with the students and and helping them grow through their four years. And so that's that's kind of always returned me to, you no, know, coaching is is a completely valid and wonderful place for me to be working and and that I, I think I have a, a unique set of skills that allow me to relate to these students in a different way. And so Um, I can't say there was ever a a specific moment. There were certainly highlights, you know, along the way that keep you moving. And there's certainly low points where you're like, I'm going to run for the hills. But it's the bigger picture of, I mean, uh, I I feel fortunate that I have, you know, nearly 60 athletes that I get to work with every day because, you know, it's not going to be perfect for everybody. But the majority of them are probably going to be
0: pretty happy. So you're at Amherst for five years then you go to MIT for a for a stretch. How's that? Experience because that I always am fascinated with people that coach at places like MIT because you would not obviously MIT you don't the first thing you don't think of is athletics. How was athletics received there?
1: Yeah, so um, MIT actually has extraordinary athletics, and so part of my desire to leave Amherst and go to MIT was to was to try something different. Um, it's a different to work at a university than at a, a liberal arts college. Um, and so I wanted to kind of see what that was like. I also, I was in a real position there, if you will, (laughs) Yeah, got paid a little bit more. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and so it was a fun challenge for me for a lot of reasons. I was there for two years. You know, I, I, I kind of joke about myself that I'm, I'm, I only know how to work with really smart kids and that like, I would be a terrible coach at, at schools that were not, you know, academics first. Academics first. Academics first. And so, you know, between Carleton and Amherst and MIT and Swarthmore, that's that's all I've ever known. And so, I'm a little bit of a smart school not snob in that sense, and I'm okay with that. And so, um, the transition to MIT was good. The program was extremely successful. It was it was a wonderful place for me to be. But you know, it's it's a different it's a different environment to work in when you're working in a univers, in a university rather than a um, just a college that is is much more of an undergraduate community. Um, and so, I. I ultimately left there knowing and feeling comfortable with my decision that I did want to be on like a small undergrad campus, that that was really where I was
0: supposed to be. Now, you spent some time at MIT as the acting Head coach, correct? Yes. What was that experience like? Was that overwhelming or were you at a point in your coaching career where you kind of had your arms around it? And while it's never easy, it wasn't like the eyes rolling back in the head experience it could be for some people.
1: Yeah. So for me, I actually went into that position knowing that that was probably what I was going to be doing. Um, The the head coach um, had had one child was out on maternity leave the year before I came in. So when she had had mentioned that she was hoping to have another kid and that that this position would morph into – an acting head coach position for that time. And so as a woman in, in coaching, there's there's not a lot of that. So I was I was actually, that was very appealing to me, both from a, I wanted to see how she does this because there's not, there's not a lot of great role models out there. But also I wanted to, um, I felt like that was a necessary step for me to go on to get a head coaching job. Um, I always said that, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to leave Amherst for a, a range of different positions, but I always knew that I wanted whatever my next job to be to be the selling point for the job that was going to come after that. And so um, I knew MIT wasn't where I was going to be for forever, but I knew that it was, it was a forward enough step that I could get the job that I wanted for the long term after that. And
0: it worked out. When you get, you know, whatever day you become the acting head coach, does it feel different? Like you leave the office on Thursday night and you're an assistant and you come in Friday morning and you're the acting head coach. Like, was it almost like flipping a switch or was it not really that much different
1: No I mean I think that because of of the circumstances that we were in we knew what that was going to look like and we knew that what what the timeline was going to be and and when that transition was going to happen and so we kind of started the season with that approach that I was I was more or less in charge starting the season because we didn't want to to confuse the students about what was going on we were really transparent with them about how this was going to play out and um, yeah, it's certainly different when you're all of a sudden sitting there, and the person that used to be like, "Well, you get to make that tough t- call," like, "Good luck," you know, when you have to make those decisions, and and it's definitely a different set of stress. And and we had, you know, a, a collection of challenges that year that that nobody was prepared for. But if you have a, a good relationship with the rest of your staff, you're able to kind of create those the the expectations right out of the gates of of how communication is going to flow, and and who's calling which shots. And and so, I don't think it was particularly scary at any moment other than, you know, the times when you want somebody else to make a decision
0: for you. Do you remember the first thing that came across your desk that didn't occur to you that you were going to have to deal with and you have to deal with? And I don't even mean, you know, necessarily any kind of an issue with a kid. I mean, like, oh, I have to order the food for the bus. People don't realize the moving parts that go into just one, in your case, like one meet, you know, 50 miles away. Like there's a lot that has to be taken care of. And A lot of places you don't have a 12 person staff, like, you know, a football team or stuff like that. So do you remember like the first thing? Not really.
1: Um, I mean, again, I think I felt pretty prepared for it because in my time at Amherst, I had always picked up all the 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 pieces (laughs) and and put them in order. And so I think I knew what most of them were. I mean, it's certainly daunting. And and now I've gotten in the practice of, you know, sitting down. I I keep meticulous notes all year long and, and try to like try to make my job more efficient every year and how we can do it. But I think what's cool about a uh, swim coach's staff is that whether I was an assistant or associate or an acting head or a head, you you sit down as a group of, of coaches, whoever's involved, and you divide and conquer as best you can. And um, so actually this fall, I'm coming off of a uh, maternity leave and I just came back in December and my assistants who ran the program all fall, you know, we, we were in constant com- conversation, even though I was on maternity leave, I was probably working 20 or 30 hours a week just to take some of the stuff off of their, their plates, but also because, you know, that would just be a text, hey, how do we do this? Or what do we need to do with this? Or this has changed. Or And so, yeah, there's a, there's a tremendous number of moving pieces. And so, but I think it, it's most coaching staffs don't really work with much of a hierarchy. It's much more of a, you're going to handle this, you're going to handle this, I'm going to handle this, and we're going to try to divide and conquer. Because with, with 60 student-athletes and recruiting, you know, for two programs and logistics of running swim meets, and, I mean, we run a facility, we run lifeguards, we run— you know beginning swimming classes for the college we we the the list of responsibilities is huge and so it's more of a like okay you're taking this now i'm taking this and and how can we spread and and get this all done effectively
0: were amherst and mit co-ed programs yes. as well so when you're starting as a, a a young woman coach and you're coaching men did was there ever any problems with authority anything like that I don't
1: think so um i i think i mean i i always I, i'm i'm a tomboy at heart. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a daddy's girl and I have two older brothers. So like I can fend for myself pretty well. And um, certainly there were times where they didn't want to listen to me. But like, I don't think that that's anything different than what they would have given a 22 year old male. And then since then, I've been at programs that were MIT had a female head coach when I started there. Um, and then I was in charge. And and then when I came here. Um, and so I, I'm sure there's some self-selection of people who, who don't want to or don't Feel comfortable with a female head coach, but I, I don't lose any sleep over that anymore.
0: And really, swimming's really ahead of the of the curve when it comes to that. Like I, I feel like a lot of the, at least the people that I'm aware of that run swim, it's women running co-ed programs, and a lot of you don't see that. You're starting to see it more, but it's it's starting at the edges in a lot of sports. Whereas you know with basketball, you're starting to see some women on staff for men's right. squad. For swimming, it really does seem like it is a good mix.
1: It, yeah, I think. Well, I think in the in the greater Philadelphia area, we have more female head coaches than I, I think. I, I haven't looked at the numbers on it specifically, but I feel like our, our the number of female head coaches around here is higher than. In, it feels like that, as yeah, it, from yeah, the outside. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really low. It's very, very low. You know, there's times when when we're at NCAA championships and. You look around the pool deck and you're like, oh, there's lots of female coaches here. And then you realize that there's only like four female head coaches on the entire pool deck. And there's, you know, 80 teams there. And and there's a lot of young assistant coaches there who are women. But it's uh it's not, it's not great. Um, we we certainly need to do better as a sport, but it's it's hard. And, you know, it's one of those things that because programs are co-ed, pretty much your whole life every club program is co-ed high school programs are separate different states handle high school swimming very differently but yeah if you you know you kind of don't have a choice but to have a co-ed program and i don't think
0: i would ever want it to be anything different so how does the opportunity at swarthmore come about
1: yeah so um you know jobs get posted online and i saw this one and i had made a pretty short list of schools that i would leave mit for going back to my you know self-proclaimed snobbiness of, of schools that I wanted to be at. I knew I wanted to be in Division three. I knew I wanted to be at the best possible academic schools I could find. And, and the third piece of that, which, which was the challenging part, was I wanted to be at a school where I could build a program. And so when I went to Amherst, that program was extremely well-established. The women had just finished second at NCAAs. They had, you know, national record holders on their team. Like, they were in a great spot. I just got to come in and and be part of the ride for a while. Walking into MIT, I walked into two top 10 programs. And so I, you know, it it was fun. It was great. I I certainly proud of the work that I did at those places, but there's something about the idea of building a program, which was really exciting to me. And Swarthmore has a rich history of swimming, uh, a very long, long history in swimming with, as most programs, you know, years of great success and and some years that were a little bit down and but to me i looked at it and i said if i go to you know if you look at the ncaa top rankings every single year it's hopkins it's amherst it's williams it's u chicago it's emory it's all these academic elite schools like why can't swarthmore be in that conversation and so i you know i i approached the the process with that in mind which was like this department is moving in a really exciting direction i think swimming can can move in that direction too um let's let's build something fun here
0: So it was 2015. Was it basically the same as your role as acting head coach? Was there any nuance that was different, maybe unique to Swarthmore, or could the skill set you had developed at that point was completely well-suited and hit the ground running at Swarthmore?
1: Yeah, I think think from a skill set standpoint, I was as equipped as I could be from a— changing everything about how a program runs. Uh standpoint that <laughs> there's nothing that really prepares you for that. And so, you know, when I had been the acting head coach at at MIT, I like I said I kind of took over something that was great mm-hmm. and and I just tried not to mess it up. And I came down here and wanted to make it great and that required changing a lot of things about how everything operated here, but also having to learn a lot of things on the fly about how the school operated, how admissions operated, how how all these pieces like who I needed to call to make sure the bus came on time, how we did food, how we did all of these things. Everything was new and different, but I certainly had seen it all somewhere at some point. But changing, you know, the the trajectory, changing the expectations of the team is, is something that you're never really prepared for, I don't think. It's challenging, but the but the, the kids were fantastic. So it worked out
0: OK. And you seem like just in talking to you, you relish challenges and you just you talk about being competitive and hating to lose. And I I could see you no matter how disruptive the situation is that you're stepping into. It probably doesn't take you long to assess, determine and start to move forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the the most important part of those first couple of years was helping the students understand that I was there to help and that I was there to bring out the best in them. You know, it sounds a little cliche, but um, I don't think that academic excellence and and swimming excellence have to work against each other. Those those two can go hand in hand and I think we've proven that year in and year out. And so for me, it was about gaining their trust and, and their confidence that while things were going to look completely different, that it was a good kind of different. And, you know, that didn't, that didn't work with everybody right out of the gates. But um, the more time I was able to spend with individuals kind of learning to understand their backstories and, and, and why they may or may not get on board right away helped me kind of uh, navigate those
0: first couple of years. I'm curious, as you're doing them... Simultaneously. Recruiting for men, recruiting for women. Are are the pools, pun not intended, as plentiful? Like, are there more male programs from the younger levels, female programs? Like, are you pretty much can build at the same way at the same time? Yeah,
1: you can build the same way at the same time. Um, I think that the process or the timelines that students operate under is a little bit different. I always joke that Women are a little bit more proactive in the uh, recruiting process. So we'll often hear from people expressing interest, you know, when they're when they're sophomores or early juniors. And every single year in November, December of senior year, I get a a flood of emails from very talented, very smart men who are like, oh, maybe I should apply to college. (laughs) And and, um, and so, you know, it's tricky because it's you know, you, 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 you learn to navigate that timeline a little bit differently. But, you know, with swimming times are times. And I love that about our sport. I love that about recruiting for our sport, because it, it's pretty clear cut. Now you have to manage, you know, 16 different events and, and who's going to, you know, is it more important that you get a great miler or a great backstroker or a great sprint freestyler or a great 200 breaststroker or a great 100 breaststroker, but times are times. And so it's really easy to say, Yeah, you can walk on campus here and and be a game changer for us, or you're going to have a hard time making our team.
0: As far as conference championships, you you reach the top of the mountain with the men a couple times uh, in your first few years. Then 2022, men and women both do it. How satisfying is it to be able to do something like that with two programs at the same time? That was really
1: special. I think that anybody who was there with us last year, you know, I get I get chills thinking about it, and 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 it was special because because coming out of COVID, coming out of Mm -hmm. you know a non-existent 2021 season, yeah, because you guys uh, didn't do anything that year, right? No, we we practiced, we did some time trials, but we only had half our students on campus. It was one person per lane, masked everything. It was it was not it was not a fun year, but we we made the best of it, and I think it was actually successful by by many definitions. But you know, coming out of that missed year, coming out of you know, in the spring of 2020, we we had a group of guys that were supposed to be, you know, flying to Greensboro and two days before they were flying down there for, for nationals, you know, the world shut down. And so, um, you know, to have that opportunity ripped away, to have the next year go non-existent, you know, and then to spend all of last year very, very on edge. I think everybody was, nobody knew when when the shoe was going to drop. You know, we'd go to these meets and everybody was masked and wearing a mask on a pool deck is awful um
0: and (laughs) it's hot and humid enough the last thing you need is is that and people forget around the holidays in 2021 Mm -hmm. things got dicey things got really some games not there wasn't the universal cancellation but you know things were getting canceled right on a regular pretty regular basis and to your point i think everybody was kind of all right, right, like, what's going to be the first leg that says it's not worth it? Right. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. But I...
1: No. And I think I just think that, like, especially going through last season, feeling so on edge, and like whether you you knew that that was how you were feeling, like I didn't realize it really until after nationals when I like sat down and was like, oh my gosh, like I, I can breathe for the first time in six months, and I didn't even realize I'd been holding my breath. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, as we headed into December of last year, I felt really strongly about taking our team to Puerto Rico as we do every year. Um, it's an incredible training opportunity for us. But more importantly, it's an incredible team building opportunity, and and the college I give everybody so much credit there because they were 100% supportive of us going on this trip, and that meant phone calls on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, and you know all of our our students going through the drive through nose swab thing up at the you know at the Target to, to get tests so that we could get through the the airport in San Juan when we got down there, and um and it was it was really stressful. And we came back, had a couple of cases, um, you know, had to had to cancel one of our meets. And while we were there the day before we left Puerto Rico to come home, which was an incredible trip because they were outside in the sunshine and they could take their masks off and talk to each other for the first time all year. And it was it was so special. But the day before we came back, the school was like, oh, we're going to be online for the first you know two weeks. And like everybody panicked because they just they had these flashbacks Mm -hmm. to the spring of 2020. And so to get through that to get through all of that, to get to our conference championship meet last year, and just to, like, have it all pay off and to have people swim faster than they'd swam in in years and years and years. And and if you, again, return to the COVID time, a lot of our students couldn't swim for months and months and months, whether it was because the pools in their area were closed or they had a high-risk, you know, family member at home or— Um, you know, we had kids swimming in open water ponds, you know, trying to touch water every once in a while, swimming in a backyard pool with a, you know, a a stretch cord attached to them so they couldn't go anywhere. And so it was so special last spring to kind of have all that patience and all that hard work pay off. And, and to do it with everybody was, I don't want to say unexpected, but it was, there there was, yeah, it, it was, it was special. It was, it was really remarkable.
0: To that point and to what you just described. By no means is it anything anybody would ever want to go through, but does having the COVID experience, having things ripped away, having, does it give everybody just this wave of appreciation for what they get to do? And I don't mean to infer that anybody Mm -hmm. took it for granted, but you're human. Like it's the thing you do every day, but does it almost feel like that maybe, does that have a role in helping heighten everything, whether it be the the attention to detail that's paid or just the appreciation for being able to go in the pool on yeah. a daily basis? Yeah,
1: I think that it was a huge eye-opener and a huge reminder of just how fortunate we we all are. And, you know, I think we talk about that a lot as a program about being grateful for the fact that your life is living on this beautiful campus and being taught by incredible professors and eating in this brand new, beautiful dining hall and, and swimming, like, what? A, that's a pretty nice life you've got for, for four years here. But that doesn't mean there aren't challenges. I mean, there's certainly many, many challenges. But like, we we talk a lot about that idea of gratitude and, and appreciation for the opportunities that you have. And I think COVID just shown a huge spotlight on that. And, and so, yeah, I think it was definitely a, a very clear reminder, but also a, an opportunity for our students to figure out what they really wanted to be doing with their time. You know, I think we had a, cu- a couple people who were like, I didn't swim for eight months and I didn't miss it at all. I've been swimming year round since I was six and I kind of hate it. And like, I don't want to go back to it. And I, you know, I'd rather have them realize <laughs> that mm-hmm. than then hobble through another couple of years. And so I think that it was definitely a a game changer for our program. Um, I think that my myself and my coaching, my, my staff, we actually sat down in, in about May of 2020 and we were like, anybody who thinks we're having a normal year this coming year is crazy like yeah. it's, it's not happening and i don't think that i was like predicting the future but i was just like this it's just not happening and so every decision we made from that point forward is how do we be the team we wanted to be ultimately in the in february of 2022 when we wanted to win those two titles but um you know starting in september of, of 2021 how do we Take this next year to create the 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 habits, the culture, the expectations that we want. I mean, we essentially got to start over. And you don't get to do that very often as a coach where you can say like clean slate, we're doing everything a little bit differently, or we're gonna keep this because this has definitely worked for us, but we're not just gonna keep doing what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna shake things some things up.
0: Winning the men's and women's at the same day. Yep. So purely for you personally, a lot of coaches go their entire careers without winning a title. You get to win two conference titles. In the same day, Mm -hmm. how did they hit like it's you could probably count on a couple of hands, the number of coaches that get to experience that ecstasy of victory at that level twice in the same day?
1: I mean, I think I think what's unique about swimming is our championship meet is, is four days long. And so anything can happen at any, I mean, there's seven sessions, anything can happen at any of those sessions, but you rarely get to the last session of a meet and don't know what's going to happen. Usually it's pretty well decided. And I think what was really cool about that was particularly for our men's program, like we went into that meet as the underdogs. We were not supposed to win that meet. And you go through session number one and you're like, "Huh, there's a chance we might be able to pull this off. And women just hit the ground running and we're just like, nobody, nobody right. else. We're just <laughs> filling in the numbers. We're, at this we're, point. Just yeah. here. we're just here to have a good time. And um and and to race incredibly well and 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 have a really successful meet but you know after session number one with the men you're kind of like oh, there's a world in which this might happen after session number two you're like oh things are looking a little bit better in session number three you're like all right like anything can happen tomorrow but like i don't know how we're in the position we're in right now like this is a pretty special spot to be and you kind of just go through the sessions and um you know it, 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 It's cool because it's, like, this building feeling of, like, this is actually going to happen. And the women, like I said, they were just foot on the accelerator, like, no restraints on them. And and so that was amazing. I mean, they they won by the largest margin of of victory in in conference history— scored the most points in conference history. I mean, we would put four or five women in the top eight of, of almost every event, and that doesn't happen. And and so that was, that was incredible. And to have the women win for the first time in 20 years, and then to have the men win in the way that they did was just, it, it's cool, because it just builds and builds and builds. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, we're holding two trophies and jumping in the pool, and life is pretty good right now. Yeah, because that's
0: fascinating, because you get these two simultaneous tracks that end in the same place, but the journey... Mm-hmm. Is completely different so it's almost a completely I don't want to say it's not a completely different feeling but it's this a lot of people don't get to to do that you get to witness kind of this this underdog story and the coronation and they're both yours at the same time and that's fascinating yeah I like the way you just put that (laughs) I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> can you still swim for fun? And what I mean, can you just go in the pool, do a couple laps and not worry about technique?
1: I, yes, I can have fun in the pool. Um, I think I have two children and they force me to have fun in the pool. I a lot of people, when they finish their college career, they continue to swim. They swim in, with master's teams or or just on their own. I've always said I would like to someday do that. But if I'm going to be working on a pool deck all day, every day, the last thing I want to do is be in that pool so i i don't get a lot of joy out of swimming myself right now but i love taking my kids in there and i try not to wear my swim coach hat while i'm working with my three-year-old so yeah <laughs> <laughs> everybody thinks that I, that's why she's such a good swimmer i'm like no she's just a good swimmer because she has no fear so
0: and something i'm curious about and i became curious talking about this i for a very short time in my life did a handful of 5ks and i would go to the gym and i would run on the treadmill and i would get to a point where i feel pretty good And then I would run an outdoor race and I I would be destroyed, Mm -hmm. you know, like a quarter in. Swimming inside in controlled conditions and swimming outdoors, you mentioned, you know, finding a pond, some of your kids during COVID. Is it a different, completely different experience?
1: It is. It is. I mean, swimming in an outdoor pool versus an indoor pool is the same, but swimming in open water versus in a pool is completely different. And um, it's not for everybody. Some people love it. Some people don't. I, I did a few triathlons back in the day and, and the open water swim was... I was successful at. I didn't love it though because you can't really see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's it's there's waves. You got to be spotting for for buoys and it's,
0: it's. I'd constantly be worried about what's
1: below. <laughs> exactly. You don't you don't want to think about what's under the water. So yes, they they are very different sports, and that's why the the only way that people can really train for out open water swimming is to do a lot of open water swimming. And and you can find that all over the country, but it's it's definitely much a different experience than swimming in a climate controlled pool.
0: Final question: What are you most proud of from your coaching career to this point? Ooh.
1: that's really hard because I think it's really easy to say, you know, winning both conference titles last year, or you know, the fact that every single one of our men's team records has been set in the last eight years at Swarthmore multiple times. And you know, I think there's a lot of metrics in our sport that are really easy to measure, and and it's fun to sit down at the end of every season and and check those and and be really proud of ourselves for how great we did. But I, I think in a lot of ways, it's it's I don't know if it's one specific thing, because it's the kid who, you know, who struggles to get through their sophomore year, who figures it out and goes on to be wildly successful their last two years here in the pool, in the classroom, goes on to grad school, goes on to these incredible futures. And so... Um, I think it's I'm going to take the cop out and just say it's a, it's about the kids and and helping them through their four years and and um Swarthmore is, is a challenging experience and so you know working with them as they grow through that as they figure out who they are as they figure out what they want to be doing and and staying with in touch with them afterwards is is what it's all about. The
0: swimming is is just the vehicle. So Karen Colby, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Karen Colby, head men's and women's swimming coach at Division III Swarthmore College, for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One On One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.